So fun to start service with the baptism and Jared's words of encouragement and his word, his testimony is so good. I love the line that he spoke where he said that he spent his whole life chasing perfection. And then his father-in-law said, man, if that's what you're chasing for, it's the rest of your life. And then to him give himself to Jesus. Oh man, just so, such a beautiful, beautiful testimony. Uh, we love baptisms here at Crossroads. And part of the reason that we love baptisms is because we believe that our testimonies are our greatest witness to the world that we're walking with God, that we're walking with Jesus, that it is a proclamation to the world that we are with him. And so as we open up the New Testament and look at the scriptures, we see that we believe and be baptized, believe and be baptized. Like that's, that's the mode, that's the, that's the command. We believe in Jesus and then we follow him in baptism. And what we believe about baptism is that really it's just an outward expression of an inward reality uh, that's going on already in our lives. And so to be able to share that story is to bring encouragement, is to proclaim the message of Jesus uh, to the world. And so if you are here today and you are a believer and you have not yet been baptized, I would encourage you to do so. That text number that Tim mentioned just a few minutes ago, you can simply text the word next as in next step and, uh, and we will put you on the process of uh, getting baptized here at Crossroads Church. This May is going to be a lot of fun. We have, I think, a baptism lined up almost every weekend and so just get ready for uh, the excitement of watching God uh, do his life-changing work through individuals here at Crossroads Church. Well, with all of that said, I do want to welcome those of you joining joining us online, as well as Fort Lupton and all of you here at Thornton. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Matt Manning, the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church. And today we start a brand new series called Shifting Gears, where we're going to take the next six weeks or so to really discover what does it look like to connect with God? That's a pretty big deal to us, isn't it? Connecting with God. That is part of the reason I would imagine that you are here today is that you believe in a God who is transcendent. And what I mean by that is that God is like magnificent. He's huge. Like he's, uh, you know, incomparable out there. And, and to be a part of him, to be connected with him, to be connected with the transcendent God, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves is, is really what we long for in life. Like, like we look at it and we say, God, to, to be in relationship with you is, is what I desire. And then we open up the pages of scripture and we see this mind-blowing truth that God actually wants to be connected to us as well. Like, like it's not just us yearning to be connected with him, but it's him also wanting to be connected with us. And so as a pastor and as pastors here at Crossroads, we regularly hear stories and you have stories, don't you? You have stories of trying to connect with God. And sadly, what we found to be true is that most people have stories that are trying where they're trying to connect with God, but end up feeling like they weren't really able to. They weren't really able to. You know, it's those moments where you, where you set aside some time and you, and you pray, but as you pray, your mind is constantly wandering. Or you step in and you go, man, I'm just going to read the Bible today. And as you read the Bible, it's like, it's like there's nothing. Or you show up to worship here and you, you see people, you know, clap excitedly or raise their hands as they sing or, or they're actively engaged in what we're doing. And, and you come here hoping for that, hoping to find that passion. And, and yet you feel, you don't feel the passion at all. And you, and you kind of wander through, through life and you go, man, I, I believe that God is out there. And I even believe that, that God is a God who loves me and, and, and wants to be a part of my life. But, but as you go about trying to connect, as you try and try and try to connect, you're just not actually sure how connecting with God actually works. And then to maybe add to that, 
What's maybe even more difficult is if you are a believer in Jesus and you've experienced deep, intimate connection with God, and then you, then you go through this dry season, and by the way, we all go through the dry season, all of us do, you get into this dry season and all of a sudden it's like, God, like, like we were intimate, we were connecting, like, like we were together, like where'd you go? Like where, where are you at in all of this? Like, like where, where are you? And we step back and, and really the question of this entire series is, is how do we connect in meaningful ways with God? Like, you know, in, in ways that actually bring us life. That's what this series is all about. And so the way that we're going to go about this series is I'm going to introduce you to a tool today that we're going to use throughout the series called Five Gears. That this last year, the staff here at Crossroads has been working with an organization called Giant, and they developed this, this um, tool called the Five Gears. And it's kind of based on like a car, like if you're shifting or driving a car, um, it's based on that. And it's all about how we relate to one another and how we live out the flow of our lives. That's what this tool is, is all about. And what's made this tool so incredible incredibly helpful for us is how practical it is, not only like in our working environment as we, as we work here in the church, but also how it's extended into our families. And so what I want to do is I want to share the tool with you. I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to talk about what it is and how it, how it relates to relationships here that we have, and then why this is important to our relationship with God, okay? So that's where we're going to go. So I just want to introduce you to the, to the five gears. And so every single one of us lives in these five gears. Fifth gear, you can think of as like focus mode, all right? Focus mode is where like the explosion of creativity and productivity happens. It's those moments like where you would describe yourself in the zone, like I'm in the zone in these things. It's where you get a lot of stuff done on a task. That would be, that would be the focus mode. Then we have gear four, and gear four is task mode. This is like multitasking. This is going through the to-do list. If you sit in meetings, oftentimes meetings are happening in gear four. We'll be in a business meeting in a couple of hours here at Crossroads at one o'clock, and we have an agenda to work through. We will be, we'll be in task mode working through that agenda as a church family. Then you have gear three, and gear three is social mode. That's where we have small talk. That's what happens in the lobbies, right? Where we, where we check in with each other, where we talk about the weather, we talk about sports, we talk about the Rockies, hot start, and when they're going to fall apart. Like that is gear three, right? And then gear two is what we call connect mode. And connect mode is where we get intimates. It's like when you go out to a date with your spouse and you talk about the dreams that you have. It's when you're sitting with a friend and, and you're just kind of in each other's arms, or you're just holding each other, or you're crying together, or you're laughing together. It's those, it's those moments of deep, intimate connection. Then gear one is all about recharging. It's about rest and recovery uh, in our lives. And then like every good vehicle, and in fact, you probably don't have a very good vehicle if it can't go backwards, we have reverse or the responsive mode, which is all about backing up, apologizing, repenting. Now, when it comes to these five gears, just like vehicles, we'll use all five gears as we're driving, right? We shift into all five gears. We as humans are meant to be in the five gears every day. That there is an aspect to our lives that if we're not in each of these five gears every day, then there's something missing in our lives. Let me give you a couple examples. That if you spend most of your time in gear three in social mode, then your relationships will be incredibly wide. But if you never get to gear two, they won't be very deep. Likewise, if you spend all of your time in gear five and you're focused and you're productive and you're creative, but you never take time to shift down into gear one, eventually you're going to burn out. 
That's just what happens. You're going to burn out and get tired. If you spend all of your time in gear four and task mode, you'll be, you know, incredibly, you'll be able to check off all the to-dos and, and you can look back on a day and go, man, look at all the checks that I made on my thing. But in terms of productivity and creativity, you probably weren't at your best. And you probably, if you're spending all your time in gear four, honestly, then you're probably not a very present person in the lives uh, of the people that you live life with. See, every, every part of our life is connected in some way to these, to these gears. Now, as we started like using these, this tool of five gears in our lives here at work and extending it into our families, we thought back and we said, hey, this is actually really biblical, that this is the way that we relate to God, that every one of these gears correlates to how we respond and relate in our relationship with God. See, what I found to be true so oftentimes is that we do a pretty good job of essentially compartmentalizing our relationship with God. And here's what I mean by that. That most of us as Christians, we have been taught and trained that you are to wake up early in the morning and do what we would call like devotion time, right? Like where we open up our Bibles and we're intent on reading the word and figuring out what the Bible has to say. We would put that as like a gear five, all right? That would be like focus mode. And consequently, what happens is if you wake up a little bit late or you don't get to your devotion for whatever reason that day, then we just look at our lives and we go, well, I guess I'm not connecting with God today. Like we essentially compartmentalize our spiritual life and our relationship with God. But what if I told you today that you could connect with God every second of every day that you live. Certainly in your devotional time, that's an important time. But what if you could connect with God as you say took your kids to school or were sat at lunch with a friend or even in your, even in your resting? What if connecting with God was fuller, was fuller than we've been taught to believe in church? Like if you're here today and you're struggling in your connection with God, could it be that God wants to meet you in a different gear than the one that you're shifted into right now. That, that God's waiting for you to shift into a different gear in order to meet with you and connect with you. Well, that's what this series is all about. That we're going to explore how we connect with God through these five gears. And our prayer is, is at the end of this that you would be able to know what it looks like to connect with God more deeply in your relationship with the God of the universe who loves you. So today we're going to start in gear one. It's all about resting and recharging. And let me say that when it comes to gear one, that gear one is really the foundation for which all the rest of this is built. That's why we're starting with gear one. Now, when I was uh, in my 20s, I bought a sporty little car and it was, a, it was a manual, it was a stick shift that I could drive. And I got pretty good at when I pulled up to a stoplight where I could just skip first gear and I could start it in second gear and take off and be okay. Now, any car enthusiast, anybody who knows anything about cars, will tell you that while you can do that, it'll often cause more harm than good. And eventually, you're gonna burn out your clutch faster because of the way that the engine needs to speed up to engage the clutch, so on and so forth. That eventually, you will lend, lend yourself to stalling out more often than not if you start or if you skip first gear. Well, the same thing with your spiritual life. That you can start in whatever gear you want to start in, in terms of your spiritual life, but if you neglect gear one, more oftentimes than not, you will feel stalled out in your relationship with God. And I say that not just as a preacher teaching you or preaching to you today, but out of my own experience. In August of 2017, I read a book by Pete Scazzaro called The Emotionally Healthy Leader that absolutely changed my life. 
that I was trying in the summer and really throughout that entire year of 2017, trying to, to manage my increased responsibilities as a leader here at Crossroads. And for most of that year, I had been putting in somewhere between 60 and 70 hours a week. By August, I was in a stretch of days where I had worked 40 straight days uh, here at the church. And just so that you know, like I love to work. Like I have a, a tremendous drive. And while that has led to many accolades in my life, it has also caused me to be a workaholic, if I'm being honest with you. And so during this stretch of 40 plus days of an entire year of working 67 hours a week, I was able to look into the future and I came to the realization that this wasn't sustainable. That I knew in my soul that what I was doing was not healthy. Not for the church, not for my family, not for myself. And so I picked up Pete's book, hoping, you know, looking for some direction, hoping for some discernment for my life. And as I read his story, particularly within his role in the church, it hit a little bit too close to home. See, what changed Pete's life was the day that his wife walked into his office and told him that she was quitting the church that he was a pastor of. Not because of theology, it wasn't because of music, it wasn't because somebody, you know, was unkind to her as the pastor's wife that she was quitting. Because in Pete's words, he had spent a lifetime working 60 to 70 hours a week, rarely taking off any time. And in doing so, he had very little energy and passion for anything else in his life, not his kids, not his spouse. And his wife eventually just said, I'm going to stop going. I'm going to stop going. As I read that story, I just closed the book. And I just paused there and thought for a moment that I wasn't there yet. Sarah wasn't anywhere near leaving the church but I could see where my life was going. I could see where this was going to end. And as I sat there in the quietness and, and really being honest for my, with myself in a moment of self-reflection, I realized that my relationships weren't that great. Specifically, my relationship with God was not that great, even as a pastor of this church. And for the first time, I think, in my life, that I was actually scared for what the future held, for what the future looked like in my life. And through that experience, God, in his amazing mercy, taught me what does it look like to operate in gear one? What does it look like to rest? And so today really is me teaching you what God has taught me in and through my life about what does it look like to rest and recharge? What does it look like to shift into gear one and find true connection with God? And the way that we're going to do that today is by looking at a passage, actually a couple of passages, but first we're going to land in Exodus chapter 31. And so we'll have the verses on the screen. If, if you have a Bible, you're certainly welcome to open them to Exodus chapter 31 and know that as you turn there, that really the Exodus story is about, is about God saving the Hebrew people. Now, for 400 years, the Hebrew people were living in slavery in Egypt under the oppressive rule of Pharaoh. And one day, God comes to this guy named Moses, who was a Jew but not living in Egypt at the time, and he says to him, he goes, Moses, I'm going to do the miraculous through you, and, and you are going to, to lead my people into their freedom. And just as God said it, so too it happened. That Moses comes in, if you know the story, you got the 10 plagues, you know, bad things happen, good things happen. Eventually, Pharaoh says, get out of here. And Moses leads the people into freedom. 
And as they're experiencing this, God says, look, that as we, as we come together, that you are going to be my people, that God makes his intentions known to them, that, that the Hebrew people would be his people, and that his people would show the rest of the world what it looks like to walk with the God of the universe, with the creator. That's what's going on here. And so out of this experience, as they're in the desert and wandering in the desert, God starts to set that up. Like, this is what it looks like to be my people, and he gives them all of these laws. In fact, if you go through the Old Testament, you'll find over 620 laws that were not just like, hey, do this checkbox, but hey, these laws are good for you, and it shows the world what it looks like to live for me. And then he takes them through, and he says, this is, this is, this is what's the tabernacle. It's this understanding of this like tent-like structure that the people worshiped in. And God said, this is where you're going to worship, and this is what it needs to look like, and this is how it all needs to be built. And so during this time, there's like this frenzied activity around what does it look like to be God's people, trying to learn the laws and, and build the tabernacle, and all of this stuff is going on. All of this activity is going on in the Hebrew people. And God looks at Moses, and he says this in chapter 31, verse 12. He says, and the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel, and say, above all, now, whether you're a Bible reader or not, that seems like a pretty important statement, doesn't it? Like, above all. Like, God has just given all of these laws, right? 620 laws. Like, like all of these, all of this activities happening. Like, all of this stuff is getting moved. And God says, above all, more than anything else I've given to you up until this point, this is more important. Pretty important moment. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. See, I want you to, to wrap your mind around this for a moment because this speaks so deeply to our connection with God. What does it say about the character and nature of God that in midst of all of the work that he just doesn't merely suggest to his people, but actually commands them above all things to take a day and rest. I mean, in the previous chapters, like the previous seven chapters, you have this whirlwind of activity. Like I said, laws are being done, but not only that, they're building the tabernacle. And so God gives them instructions of how to build the altar. He says, this is what it looks like to put in a system of place to select all the priests that you're going to need. This is how you do the sacrifices, call the craftsmen in. This is how they're going to build all the trinkets. We need some weavers, you know, some clothes people to make all the garments for all this, like all this whirlwind of activity. And God says, above all things, Moses, you need to tell my people. Like more than anything that I've, that I've said with all of this frantic activity going, that you need to tell the people to take a day and rest. That you need to rest, that you need to stop your work, you need to stop your labor, you need to stop your toil and remember that I am your God. And we read these verses and we see that God's not messing around. Like, he's actually quite serious about this. Look at verse 14 with me. You shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. <laughs> I mean, that took a hard turn, didn't it? Like, God says, you need to follow the Sabbath or I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I mean, come on, there's, there's something here that's, that's very serious to the heart of God. I mean, how serious does this moment have to be for God to say the punishment for disobeying this one command that I give to you is, is 
death. And how countercultural is that in the world in which we live in? I mean, how many of you work for a business that says, hey, you know what, if you came in on Saturday, you're out of here. Like, you're gone. You try to work extra hours, no way, not here. Like, like no, like, that doesn't happen in our society, it doesn't. In fact, our society is built on like attaboys for working long hours, to putting in more than what we're, what we're paid for. It's, it's all about busyness and a whirlwind of activity, and we champion this kind of behavior in our society, don't we, in our culture. And God looks at us, and he says, you champion it to the detriment of your soul, because you've bought the lie. You bought the lie of, of self-reliance, that you have a bent towards self-reliance. God says, you are so prone, so prone to forget my goodness and my grace and my mercy that you need to, because of that, take a day, one day a week, and stop. You need to rest. You need to remember that I am the Lord your God, that I'm the one who gives, that I'm the one who provides, that I'm the one who saves, that I'm the one that satisfies all your needs, that I'm the one that gives you purpose, not your work. I am. I am. And with those words, he institutes the Sabbath. Now, I want you to see something a bit interesting that's very easy to miss in this. That as Moses is giving this command for the Sabbath, look what he says. He says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. That Moses says that the Sabbath is, is actually something that's holy. Well, do you know the first thing in all of Scripture that's called holy, the first thing that's named holy in all of Scripture is time. You can look this up. It's in Genesis chapter 2. We're told that for six days God worked, putting together the creation, everything we see, everything that we experience. And then on the seventh day, he rested, and it was holy. It was holy. That the first place in all of Scripture that we see the holiness break forth is in the Sabbath. Now, the word holy, when we're applying it to Scripture, simply means to be set apart. And in the Jewish mind, to be set apart, to be holy from the rest of the world, was to maintain Sabbath. That their understanding was, was when they step back into Sabbath and actually rest, that that's what separates them from the rest of the world. That in the Exodus account, what we have is God creating a nation of people that we will call Israel, and he's doing it in the middle of the superpowers. Egypt, Syria, Babylon, like those were the big boys. And in the middle of them, God is creating this nation, and he's looking at him, and he says, you are going to be my witness, my testimony into the rest of the world of what it looks like to walk with the Creator. God says this period of time, the Sabbath rest is important because it's one of the signs that you and I, that we're in relationship together, that we are connected together, that we are walking intimately together. It is the marker to the rest of the world that you're with me and I'm with you. Not just because it transforms us from our, from our self-reliance, but also, but also, God says, because it reveals to the other nations that God is the great provider by letting his people actually rest. See, the holiness of the Sabbath is important for us to wrap our, our minds around when it comes to the Sabbath because so quickly it moves from something that was meant to be life-giving to something that's just clouded in legalism. And the reason that it's clouded in legalism is because of the way that we read the Bible and the New Testament, and we see that the way that the Jewish leaders handled it, and particularly when it came to the Pharisees. In fact, let me take you to Luke 13 for a story of Jesus and his interaction with the religious leader around the Sabbath. Here's how the story goes. Verse 10, 
It says, now he, that being Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had, who had a disability, who had a disability spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he, he called her over and, and he said to her, woman, you are freed from your disabilities. And he laid his hands on her and immediately, immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. I mean, this is like worship. Like imagine this happening right here, that I'm up here doing my thing, right? I'm preaching, teaching, and then all of a sudden, one of you who's been sick for 18 years stands up, you're healed, and you start bringing glory to God. Like you would look at me and you go, Matt, like, like this is worship, man. Like you take the Sabbath stuff, bring it back next week. We'll listen next week. But today, let's just watch God work, right? Like, like that's what's going on here. I mean, look at the story. The woman comes in, bent over 18 years, because of the spirits that are tormenting her. Jesus sees her, stops what he's doing, walks over, prays for her, lays hands on her. She stands up straight and the synagogue goes wild. Like everybody's rejoicing, everybody's celebrating. And we remember in this moment of what we just saw in Exodus chapter 31, that the Sabbath was meant so that we could see and participate in the power and the presence of God, that we would shed our self-reliance and that we would just be simply, we would just simply be in the presence and the power of God. That's what the Sabbath is all about. And this is such a beautiful picture that as Jesus is, is moving in the Sabbath on this day, that he sees this woman and all of the power and the presence of God, and it removes, you know, all the self-reliance, and she's freed and she stands up straight. I mean, just a beautiful, beautiful picture. So look what happens, verse 14. But the ruler, that's the priest, that's the religious leader, that's the pastor of the synagogue, indignant, strong word, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on, those days, and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. <laughs> we read this and we go, what? Like, again, right? The scene Jews are worshiping on Sabbath. Jesus comes in as the rabbi. He's teaching. Woman walks in. He sees that she's hurting. He goes over. He lays hands on her. He prays. And all of a sudden, she's healed. The Sabbath rejoice. And the religious leader stands up and goes, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Jesus, good job. Attention, everyone. I want to make sure this is clear. We don't do that today. If you're sick, if you need healing, if demons are messing with you, you come back tomorrow. We do that Sunday through Friday here. Today, I need you to settle down. This is the day we bring worship to Jesus, or to God, okay? Like, let's settle down here. And we look at this, what is, what is this guy thinking? Like, what is this guy, like, doing? Verse 15, then the Lord answered him, that's Jesus, you hypocrite. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And not not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from his bonds on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were being done by him. I mean, just for a moment, put yourself in this situation. Put yourself on that day that you see this lady who's miraculously and, and completely healed by Jesus. And because of that, you start to get excited and rejoicing in your own spirit. 
as you begin to think what this God, this amazing God could do in and through your life. And just as that excitement begins to boil up inside of you, you have some religious leader who comes in and crushes all of your hope, just stomps out all of your hope. How depressing would that be? How crushing would that moment be? That this priest is twisting the Old Testament scriptures in order to tell Jesus that he cannot heal on the Sabbath. It's just crazy. It's ludicrous. That in our Sabbath, keeping the day holy, it does not mean that it's without compassion. I mean, I mean there's this moment where this, like, this guy just needs a beating, and so Jesus gives it to him softly, spiritually. He looks at him and he rebukes him. He says, don't you untie your donkey and your ox and lead it to water? then certainly can't God untie the chains that bind the broken? Of course he can. Of course he can. And the people see it and they start rejoicing and the priest here is missing the point like most of us do. Like most of us so often do. The things that were meant to be life-giving are so oftentimes replaced by either the soul-sucking nature of legalism or the heart-stopping apathy of our lives. And God says Sabbath was never supposed to be that. It was never supposed to be either of those things. The Sabbath was life-giving. The Sabbath is about connection with me. Exodus chapter 31, verse 16. Moses writes, Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant. There's relationship language for you. As a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and you it's a sign that we're connected, that you're my people, that in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. From the very beginning, hear me on this, from the very beginning, the Sabbath has been about walking with God and simply enjoying his company. It's an invitation from God not to check a box, not to move through your, like, you know, your spiritual to-do lists, but just to be with him. It's an invitation to rest with him, to take a breath and to simply be with him. And so the question then becomes for us is, is what does that look like in our modern culture? What does it look like some 2,000 years later after Jesus has this interaction? What does it look like some 3,000 later after this command is given to the, to the Hebrew people? Like, like what does it look like for us to live this out in our modern day world 2022? Well, here's a couple of things that I would say to you. First, is that I would encourage you to take a literal 24-hour Sabbath because a 24-hour Sabbath imitates and honors God. It imitates and honors God. The creator God that created the entire universe, everything we see, everything we experience, everything that we touch, the scriptures tell us that on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. I mean, just wrap your minds around that for a moment. That the God of the universe rested and was refreshed. See, we are told that we are image bearers of God. When we work, we are, we are bearing the image of our working God. That is good. But also in our rests, we also image God. That when we take time to stop, what we are signaling to God is trust toward him. It's a sign that we trust God, that when we stop and practice Sabbath, it reminds us that we are finite, feeble people who are utterly dependent. Stopping allows us to connect with God in, in deep ways by acknowledging that the whole world, the whole world is in his hands, not ours. That the Sabbath is this, is this beautiful picture that God instituted 
as a weekly reminder that true blessing, that the true blessings in this world come from him and not our work. That when we follow the rhythms of Sabbath, then we understand that resting our hands, our hearts, our minds, and enjoying that rest in God imitates and honors God. That if you're serious about following Jesus and connecting with Jesus, connecting with the God of the universe, then my encouragement to you is to figure out how to have a literal 24-hour Sabbath in your life. The second thing that I would say is this, is create opportunities for Sabbath rest every day, every day. When we open up the New Testament, kind of towards the end is this book that we call Hebrews. And in it, the writer spends the first three chapters or so telling us about how great Jesus is. Like he's just going on and on about how God, how great Jesus is. And as he gets through chapter three, he begins to make this turn. And in the turn, he starts pleading, like, like pleading with his readers for them not to harden their hearts towards Jesus. He's like, Jesus is great. Now I'm pleading with you, don't harden your hearts toward this great Jesus. And the way he says that we go about making sure that our hearts are not hardened is by entering the Sabbath rest of Jesus. Some very curious words there. And almost immediately after that, he goes back to the Exodus account that we just read. And he says, don't be like them. Don't be like them, that, they, that their hearts were hardened towards God, that there's an entire generation that did not make it into a promised land. There's an entire generation who, who did not know what it meant to rest in the Sabbath, and therefore God followed through. And all of them died in the wilderness, and none of them saw the promised land. God says, the writer of Hebrews says, don't be like that. And he's, he's pleading with them. He's begging us not to make the same mistake. And the way that we can avoid that is by rejoicing in God's Sabbath rest in Jesus, where he writes these words in chapter four, starting in verse nine, concerning the Sabbath. He says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Just in case you were wondering, this still applies to us today. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. See, what he's saying is that the good news of Jesus is that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. That you and I, listen to me on this, that you and I have the opportunity every day, every single day, to experience gear one. We have, we have the opportunity every day to experience the rest and renewal that comes by God any time that we choose to enter into that privilege. The command of Sabbath rest, as it's fleshed out in the New Testament, is not to like work frenzied for six days, wearing ourselves completely to the bone, barely able to make it, and then on the seventh day be refreshed for whatever's next. Like that's, that's not it. As it's fleshed out in the New Testament, what we see is that there's regular moments of rest every day that we find in God. So the question is, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? How do, we, how do we actually put that into practice? And so what I wanna do in my final moments is simply give you an example from my own life, what God's taught me. Now, by no means am I perfect. I'm not giving you this because I'm perfect. This is, this is messy in my life, but this is how I try to live out my life. It's, it's what it, God has taught me in my own journey of what it looks to live and to shift into gear one to experience his power and his presence, the joy that comes no matter what the circumstances, that these are the things that I've learned as I've tried to connect with God through the practice of Sabbath rest. So what I do is, is I create something called, that some people call white space in my life. 
that throughout my day using my calendar, I, I try not to stack meetings and try to make sure that my, my day isn't full of busyness that cascades and then there's no time for connection with, with God. And so in the mornings when we all wake up, I, I help get all the kids off to school, Sarah gets to work, and that's really when my work day begins. And the very first thing that I do is I, is I pause and I just begin to pray through my calendar. I take my calendar and I just pray through the day. And the reason that I do that is not, again, to check some box, but it's to acknowledge to Jesus that I need his power and presence in my life, that, that I can't do this by myself. And so I pray for, for wisdom, for the decisions that I have to make as I lead this church. I pray for God's compassion as I, as I meet with, with you in counseling sessions. I ask for, for words and, and for knowledge and to be able to express what it is that, that he's teaching me through the scriptures so that I can deliver it to you on a Sunday morning. That, that oftentimes I, I ask for the courage and the boldness of Jesus when I'm called to do hard things here at the church and in my life that I want to start my work day in gear one, going, God, I rest in you, not because I'm tired, not because I'm checking boxes, but because I don't want to be self-reliant. I want to be fully dependent upon you. And then throughout the work day, like I said, I try hard not to stack my meetings and my tasks. What I try to do is keep five to 10 minutes in between each task or each meeting. And every time I walk into a room, I pray the same prayer. It's this, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom and discernment for whatever I face, for whatever lies ahead of me. That before every meeting, I just take five to ten minutes where I can pray for what's coming next to make sure that when I'm walking into a meeting that I'm connected to the power and presence of God and not just simply relying upon myself. As I wrap up my workday, before closing it all up, I just take a few moments and I intentionally kind of take a look at my heart. I take an inventory of my heart. Like I said earlier, success and accomplishment have an outsized role in my life. And so at the end of the day, I don't look back on my day and say, look at all the things that I accomplished. I look back on my day and I simply ask the question, like, God, have I been present with you? Was I self-reliant today or did I walk in your presence? And I take inventory of my heart. In fact, every time I get off the stage after preaching, there's a little stairwell back here that I'll sit down in and I'll just pray a prayer. God, was today's sermon to bring glory to Matt or was today's sermon to bring glory to you? I just do an inventory of my of my heart. It's these resting moments throughout the day that I simply pause and take time to go, is this about me? Is it about relying on myself? Or is it about walking in the power and the presence of God? And so I try to build my entire life, particularly my work, around these little moments where I can simply shift into gear one as a reminder to myself of the power and presence of God. That Jesus accomplished everything on the cross and the good news for me is now I can simply rest in him. That God, Jesus, accomplished everything on the cross, and I can simply rest in him. That gear one is so important to your connection with God. And if you felt lately like maybe you're not connecting with God the way that you think you should, could it be because you've neglected gear one and sure sit installed at a stoplight when God's ready to meet you right there? Before we go to communion, will you pray with me? Father, Lord, we thank you for your time and, Lord, your presence, your power in our lives. And, Lord, as we begin this series, there's so many of us who, who walk through our lives, God, wanting to connect more deeply with you and just not knowing how, not knowing what that looks like. And so, God, today I thank you. I thank you for the words of your scripture, Lord, that help us to know 
that connection really rests in you in simply being with you rather than doing for you. God, in our American society, that is, that is a tough lesson for us. It's one that we struggle with time and time again. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would help us see the value of rest in our lives, that we wouldn't neglect this gear in hopes of being productive or creative, of maybe connecting in another way. But Lord, that each day, every day, that we would create moments of our lives to simply be with you. And then, Lord, at the beginning of each week, Lord, that we would set aside some space and time to simply be with you for an entire day. Lord, help us think through what that looks like in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. My guess is for many of us that we walk through lives going through the 24-hour hustle and bustle of, of worlds. And as we come to communion today, what I want to do is just pause and give you a moment in the crazy world to have a white space moment. For some of you, it's just to rest and to connect with God, knowing that what Jesus did on the cross accomplished everything and that you can just rest. For others of you, this space and this moment is maybe the first time that you've ever heard anything like this and that you just need to fall upon God's grace, trusting in him and receiving the rest that's given to him. And so just take 30 seconds to be with you and God. It's at the cross that we're reminded that our accomplishments lead to sin and ultimately death. But Christ's accomplishment leads to life. That when his body was broken, our sins were forgiven. And so today as a family, we eat and remember of that. And reminded the cup. The cup is our guarantee that life everlasting is ours that we are in communion, relationship with God forever. And so today we drink. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you online. You can click the button in-house. You can make your way over to the banner. I'm gonna ask you to stand as we reflect and sing on the rest that God provides for us.